Welcome back to Better Than I Found It, a podcast about all things college golf. My guest today is a true legend, but not just as a coach. Therese Hessian, who coached for 30 years at The Ohio State University, is more than a coaching legend. She's also a great human being. She joins me only a month after her retirement from coaching. Listen carefully as she talks about what I consider to be the most important aspects of our profession. You'll really love hearing from this wonderful lady. Enjoy every word. All right, everybody, join me in welcoming Hall of Fame golf coach Therese Hessian to Better Than I Found It podcast. Therese, thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike, and uh, I always enjoy visiting with you, so this will be fun. Yeah, I think uh, despite the fact that you coached on the women's side and I coached on the men's side, we crossed paths actually quite a few times through the years. It was great, whether it was recruiting or at a tournament where both men's and women's teams were there, so I always enjoyed that. And I did coach women's golf one year, so I did have that experience there. But, you know, a lot of people probably aren't aware because things happen over the break. And you just retired January 7th officially after 30 years at Ohio State. That's – go ahead. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I did um, – I announced it in um, second week of December, and um, uh, I was going to retire the end of December, and then my boss said, can you stay another week? And I'm like, sure, I can stay another week. And, you know, I just – Uh, with the new semester starting off on the 10th, I thought that would be a good time. um, And then, you know, to be able to get them going again for their next, their uh, championship segment. So um, there's never a good time. I've thought a lot about it. um, And I always hate to to disappoint anybody, but, um, you know, I, I want all my student athletes to always have the very, very best. And if you're running out of steam, um, it's not fair to them either. And, and, um, so uh, it was kind of a little bit of an odd time, but, um, um, you know, I, I think it's the best for me at this time. Well, and the program's in great, great shape and has a great person leading, and we'll talk about her later. But um, 30 years, when you think about it in those terms, that's, that's pretty amazing. Now, before we get into sort of your background, uh, I want to, for my listeners, I want to examine the body of work that is your coaching career. So I'm just going to throw out a bunch of stats. You've got to sit here and listen. I apologize. <laughs> All right. Your team won 11 Big Ten championships. You appeared in the NCAA championships 17 times with seven top 10 finishes. You were the coach of the year in the Big Ten seven times. 2018 Palmer Cup captain, two, two-time national coach of the year. Your team won a total of 47 events over the years. Uh, you had 13 All-American selections, 66 All-Big Ten selections. You've been inducted into numerous halls of fame. Now, I'm sure I've missed something in there, but that's quite a body of work. And, and looking back on it, I bet it's something you really didn't think would ever happen or you wouldn't have expected it to happen because you were a player. I mean, that's what you were going to do, and that's what I want to do now before we move on to the coaching aspect of this interview is, Let's talk about your playing background. I mean, how'd you get into the game? And let's just talk about your playing career. Well, um, the way I started golf was um, up here in Indiana. I, um, my dad and my mom were on vacation and they um, saw a driving range and they were actually in Las Vegas. And my dad said, you know, we can't stay in these casinos all day. We're going to go broke. So he <laughs> goes, let's go over there and hit some balls and see, see what golf's like. So 
he, he really enjoyed that a lot. Um, and he came back and, um, I just remember, uh, early on, uh, this was probably when I was about maybe eight or nine years old, um, you know, going out with my dad to the driving range. And, um, my first lesson was from, um, a, pro, a club pro here in Indianapolis uh, named Ed Kanich, who won lots and lots of uh, state opens. He was on the PGA Tour for a short while, and it was a little nine-hole course, um, which, uh, oddly enough, was the same golf course that, to, that we won our 10th Big Ten title at. Oh, great. Uh, the Fort Harrison um, golf course here in Indianapolis, but at that time, it was only a, a nine-hole course, no driving range, so I used to go there at about eight o'clock at night and I'd get my lesson on the first tee and then I'd run down the fairway and pick up all the golf balls for my lesson. And that's how I started playing golf. And, um, I just loved it. My poor dad, when he came home from work every day, I was charged up to, to go to the driving range and he'd have to take me out to hit balls <laughs> after <laughs> work. And, and, um, I think he really did love it, but, um, and I remember one day he came home, he said, I got something for you. He goes, and he had two sets of clubs in the back of his truck and he just didn't know which one, which size would fit me. Um, so that's how I got my first set of clubs. And, you know, it, it's been nonstop golf uh, ever since then. Something tells me, although it was difficult for him to work all day long. And then actually when he didn't get to sit down and rest and have dinner, he had to go to the golf course. But yeah. something tells me those memories are pretty good for him as well because he got to spend time with his, his little baby. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So you played a lot of junior golf there in Indianapolis, I assume. I know you won the state junior one year. I know you won the state amateur, maybe while you were in college. But um, so how did you end up at SMU? You played golf at Southern Methodist in Dallas. Was well, Did you go south because you wanted to get to a little bit better climate or did you would they have a great program how did that come about and I know that women's college golf was pretty much in its infancy when you started but go ahead yeah I you know that's the I did go south um to get some experience on Bermuda grass um where you know I played extensively in the north um and to be honest um I didn't really get any offers from any schools in the north either so wow. um you know, at, at that time, um, Mike, there was my freshman year at the national championship, any school that could pay their way to get, got to go. It was at Michigan state university. And, um, so, so there was no qualifying order like that. We just all, whoever could go went and, um, um, you know, to be honest, when the, um, at the golf course where, um, I played and, um, there was a player at my club, Ryan, um, that was a year behind me in school. And she was also a very good player. Um, she was runner up in the U S junior girls. And, um, he kind of recruited sort of both of us. And this was before we even had a, a, a head coach and they were, um, trying to get Kathy Whitworth to be the coach at SMU. And, you know, I was uh, interested in business as a major. I was an accounting major in school, and the Cox School of Business is is awesome at SMU. And and, and of all the schools, I kind of was looking at that was the one that was sort of closest to home for me, believe it or not. So that's kind of really, honestly, how I I ended up at SMU. 
that's an unusual uh, path, but I, I think when I look back on it, I think a lot of the coaches I've talked to have had unusual paths. It hadn't all been just, this is the way it was, but I also know that women's college golf was pretty young at the time. And um, so you built a pretty good team. And we'll talk about some of those teammates you had here before long. And Earl Stewart was the coach. Is that correct? That's correct. That guy's a legend in Texas now, a total legend. He's in the Texas Golf Hall of Fame. What a oh, great, yeah. great he, instructor and a great man. Yeah, he was actually the coach um, for our men's team. Um, Payne Stewart was a freshman with me. We came in together. And um, when we first, when I first got down there, um, they didn't have a ladies coach yet. Um, I don't know whether they just, Kathy didn't agree to do it or exactly what happened, but there was no tournaments, no uh, no schedule for anything in sight, no place to practice. Um, and then finally, um, I, I used to take my shag bag and go over on the field where by Moody Coliseum, where uh, the band would practice and I would just hit balls in that field because I didn't have a car. Um, and I would just walk from the dorm, hit some balls, go pick them up and then come back. And, and so finally the women's um, tennis coach, Barbara Camp, who went on and was a, a senior associate um, AD at Auburn. Uh, she was a tennis coach there as well. She um, ended up taking us to our first tournament um, out in West Texas. And, and then we went to Nacogdoches, Texas for our second tournament. And um, we had um, the men's intramural director actually took us to a tournament as well. And um, Finally, at Christmas time that freshman year, they sat down and somehow coerced Coach Stewart into being the ladies' coach. And um, he actually took us on one trip in the fall down to HBU. And, um, you know, I think he was rather nervous with a bunch of girls in the band. Um, his wife, Dorothy, went with us, and um, it was an amazing experience. And he actually told me at Christmas time, uh, or after that first year, if he could have picked between the two teams he would have picked to coach the ladies because we were really grateful and we worked really, really, really hard. And he really admired that about us. And, um, you know, as the story goes, um, when I lost my father early on, uh, coach Stewart really was like my father and, um, his wife, Dorothy, we called her chairman and, um, they are flat out legends in my world. They're, they're amazing legends, even bigger than the Texas Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. And I honestly, I never knew that story, but it makes sense. Women's college golf was in the infancy. I mean, it was just brand new. And so there wasn't anything organized probably on very many campuses at all. My my twin sister, Patty, was playing golf at Oklahoma State and Ann Pitts was her coach. Yes. And it was very early in Ann's career. I think Ann started in 1976. So kind of about when you started, they had a, you know, and I think they, anyway, long story short, um, it was young in, in the wor world of women's college golf, but your senior year, you were first team all American at SMU mm -hmm. and your team played in the, in 1979, AIAW national championship at Stillwater country club. Yes. And my, my twin sister, Patty played there as a freshman for Oklahoma state. And I'll, I have a memory of actually watching that day. I don't, one of those days, I don't remember if I saw you, I wouldn't have known you, you, but yeah. you were senior in college. Tell me about your team. And, and do you have one of those team members that actually lives here in Waco? Yes, um, we did. We had an amazing team. Um, 
it's kind of funny as, as my career unfolded, I, I kind of felt like that experience at SMU sort of laid the groundwork for me to be a coach. Um, even though at the time I would have never dreamed it. Um, but my, my freshman year, like I said, I went there and I, there was a couple other, um, walk-ons that we kind of recruited to be on the team. Uh, one player was a junior Leanne Cassidy. She was, um, already at SMU, a really good player. She actually ended up earning her LPGA tour card. So to have somebody like that um, on our team at that time was amazing. That was already in place. Um, And then another player from our club was actually down there too, named Anna Marie Hale, who was a really good player um, as well. So we kind of had a great nucleus, but then we had to go out and, and get a fourth player to have a team. And um, so that's, in fact, what we did. Um, That's how we got to play that first year. And, um, you know, actually, Mike, for the record, uh, since um, backing up a little bit, the first women's national championship was at 1941 at the Scarlet Course at Ohio State. And, you know, they were all in those days, they called it just the national championship to be organized like what you're mentioning about the AIW, which was pre-NCAA time, um, there was like a doubles champions. Um, they didn't have enough players. So, um, you know, we had two players to make a team and that they played all, we had a little bit of a break um, through the big, uh, the World War II, but then it started back up in the fifties. And I think Ohio State actually hosted the first seven national championships for women. Now I have all that data, um, at Ohio State, but I, I don't recall off the top of my head. But but yeah, they actually did play through the 60s and uh, into the early 70s. And I'm not sure, like you said, when the AIW was actually formed, um, just coming off of being called the Women's National Championship. And But regardless, uh, we were very grateful for any opportunities. And I, I think there might have been maybe 26 or 30 teams in the country at that time. Uh, that actually um, that had, um, you know, teams to play women's college golf. But but I remember the experience at Oklahoma State very, very clearly. I do remember Patty, too. She was very kind to me. Um, Val Skinner was on that um, yes. playing at that time as well, was a really good player that obviously earned her tour card down the road. And, you know, being at SMU, we got to play with Oklahoma State quite a bit. So I know my coach really liked to jab uh, Ann Pitts. So always kind of um, had a, you know, kind of a happy go lucky relationship with everybody. And, and um, so I, I felt like that they were, they were really friends and we were all on the same page to make things as good as we could, we could make them. And, um, but I did get, Kyle did come down the next year uh, from my club here in Indianapolis. Um, The following year, um, literally I recruited, um, Missy McGeorge and, um, Mary Beth Murphy. I knew from junior golf in the summertime. And then, uh, coach Stewart actually was the one that, that, uh, got, uh, Debbie Hall. Freedy is her name now. Um, she was a, the fr- a freshman on that team. And, um, you know, as it turned out, every single one of us earned our LPGA tour cards and played on the tour for an extended period of time. And, um, you know, we are all very, very close to this day. Um, certainly uh, people that will always be in my life. And that was an amazing, amazing team and uh, a group of individuals 
as well as our coach and, and his wife, Chairman. Well, thank you for giving me that bit of history. You actually taught me something right there that now I know. I'd love to see that history uh, written down, you know, uh, because most people don't know about it. And the NCAA actually started sponsoring a women's national championship shortly thereafter and have been going ever since, obviously. But so you mentioned LPGA Tour and you had all those players in that team that ended up getting their tour card. You played on the LPGA Tour for 11 years. You yeah. played in a total of 250 events. So you were obviously a regular member of the LPGA Tour for a long time. Um, you played in seven women's U.S. Opens. Which was your favorite course you played of the U.S. Opens? Well, you know, I, I think I would have to say Colonial. Um, that was my last Open. 1991, um, right? 1991. And a, it's kind of ironic, but a Buckeye Meg Mallon actually ended up winning that, that Open. Um, and, you know, I was really playing pretty well. and. Um, you know, I started to work at Ohio State the next week, and it, it kind of did kind of give me some doubts. Of, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have really taken this coaching job. But my, my coach, um, when I got on tour, it was Mike Adams. And, uh, you know, he's like, uh, T-Bird, the reason you're playing well is because you have a job now, so you don't have to worry about your expenses anymore. <laughs> and um, he said, you're exempt for life. So he said, you, could, you should just take that coaching job. and and if you like it, you got it. If not, you always have your tour card to come back to. So um, that was kind of the grounds that I, I, uh, I took my position with, for sure. That is really interesting. And Meg Mallon won that open. Interestingly enough, a lot of people don't know this. Ben Hogan actually came out to that event, and he watched Chris Cheddar play that week because that's correct. had kind of mentored her. And I've always known about that story. I didn't know you played. That is your last U.S. Open. And what a golf course, Colonial Country yeah. Club. What a golf course. Yeah. Uh, any, you said you were good friends with Meg Mallon. She was obviously one of the best players in the world in the 1980s uh, through the early 90s. Uh, any, any, uh, is there a, I, I know you got to meet one of the all-time legends. I mean, an icon in women's professional golf. Tell me about that meeting. Well, uh, yeah, that was my very first uh, tournament fresh off the earning my card and going through all the LPGA rules and regulations. And I was um, coming up, I was, it was at Deer Creek Country Club in Florida. And I was my first practice round. I was on the 17th hole coming across the road to the 18th tee. And there was a group that came off the 10th green, which was by the 18th tee. And they they cut in front of me and I thought, oh, you know, and that was clearly one of the rules that you don't, you don't do things like that. And I thought, you know, here, who is this um, <laughs> cutting in front of this little old rookie in her first day? And I went over there and um, I, I got about probably 20 yards away and I realized it was Mickey Wright, who I think is one of the all-time greats in, in women's golf uh, to this day. And of course, um, in my world, she was um, a real icon because Coach Stewart at SMU was um, Coach Mickey, and I've heard more Mickey Wright stories probably than any human on the face of the earth, and because every Sunday I used to go to Coach Stewart's house and just, we'd watch Dallas Cowboy football, and he would tell me stories from his tour life, and I loved hearing anything that had to do with golf, and so she looked up at me, and she said, hi, Muscles, congratulations, and I, I almost <laughs> fell over. But Muscles was my nickname from college from Coach Stewart. So I knew he had talked to her. 
for her to know that, like that was pretty, uh, you know, that wasn't, you know, didn't happen by accident there. And, um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I was so shocked. I, she, she kept on playing. I, I wish I would have been able to join her, even play one hole with her. I think that would have been pretty cool. But, um, anyway, that was, um, just a chance meeting that I will never forget for sure. You know, two things occurred to me. One, you did meet the Tiger Woods of that sport. As far as I'm concerned, she was unbelievable. And I know Annika Sorenstam and a few others have come across, but she had literally the greatest golf swing in the history of the game. That's maybe a little bit hyperbole there, but truly you could argue it's one of the greatest golf swings that's ever existed on men or women's side, either one. Wouldn't you say it was amazing? Well, absolutely. And you know, some things like coach Stewart told me, um, like he would always go when she would come in for, to work with them, they would always go play. And he said that, you know, where they would tee off and then they would move Mickey's ball to where, like, let's say he had a five iron into the green. He would move her ball up to where she had a five iron into the green and he absolutely never beat her. <laughs> and, you know, coach was, he was rookie of the year on the tour. He was out there for seven years. He was a great player. And, you know, for, for him to say something like that, I mean, she, she had to be just in a league of her own and, um, you know, she just was really amazing, but in a very brilliant lady as well. Um, in addition to being amazing, have an amazing golf swing and being an amazing person. Um, she was, she was really, really intelligent too. Well, if you think about it, yeah, her coach Earl Stewart had told her about you, but she didn't know she was going to meet you that day. And so right. her first reaction was, oh, that's muscles. And so yeah. that tells me she was, she paid attention to detail. She wasn't too big for her own britches, if you will. In other words, she, she may have been an icon, but she knew she would have the opportunity to meet you. And she took advantage of that as well. Amazing. Yeah, she sure did. All right. So that's a great story. So you played a long time. Eventually you, you retire after the 91 U.S. Women's Open, and then you become the golf coach at Ohio State the next week. So I was talking with Lisa Strom before this interview. Lisa, obviously, is your replacement at Ohio State and a great young coach. But she told me that you are, above anybody else she's ever met, a big, big dreamer. And you won't take no for an answer. Now, <laughs> so, so I guess I'm going to ask the question, are these characteristics the true keys to your success? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think taking, not taking no for an answer, um, might be a piece of that. Um, I, you know, I, I like to think I'm pretty creative and if one road gets blocked, I'll go down another road and figure out how to get where I want to go. Um, and I think to be resilient and determined, um, probably if, if you want to say that that's my reaction to when people tell me no, um, you know, that's probably where that um, helps me um, to be able to create things and get things to go where I would, I think would be really best, um, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that there's a lot of things that we, we don't get the way we think we should get, but, you know, you, you know, even back to my times at SMU, how that all started, I, you know, it would be a lot easier for me to leave and go somewhere else that was more established. But as it turned out that that ended up being an amazing time, even though there was a lot of kind of rough times there. Um, but even in my coaching time, you know, I, I, um, 
I, I'm a big believer in giving kids some experiences that they'll remember the rest of their life. And a lot of times um, it was a little outside the box of, of me doing some things that I did, but I knew that that it would be something that, you know, they're going to remember these experiences more than they're going to remember, you know, a lot of other time that they, what they spent doing things there. And, and so that was always big for me to create experiences. And I was told no a lot, a lot of times. Um, but, you know, I just try to get hit, hit the ground running, bounce back up and, and um, let's figure out another way to get where we need to go. Everybody needs to hear that message. Uh, it really is true. So I'm going to ask you some coaching questions now. So how did your coaching style or your coaching evolve to meet the, the needs of your student athletes? Because the needs of a student athlete might have looked a little different in 1991 than did in 2021. So how did you evolve with that as far as your coaching? Well, you know, in some ways, I do think it evolved, uh, Mike, but other ways, I don't think it did. And this might sound kind of odd, but, you know, I am who I am and I care about those kids in 1991 as much as I cared about my kids in 2021 mm. and to be myself and to let them know that how much I cared for them and how much I wanted to be there for them. Like that part, I don't think it ever evolved. That's just who I am. And, you know, I felt the same way about the coaches um, that I coached with, you know, you know, you want to, there's things that are above me for sure, the program, the game, the, the sport. And if you always do what's right for the sport and the game and the people, you know, I think everything else just sort of takes care of itself. And I, I tried never to be selfish. Um, Probably the most selfish thing that I ever did was what I did last week by retiring. Um, and as hard as that was, um, you know, I, I knew it was time for me. Um, I always said if my energy was starting to run low, um, that's how I would know. That's kind of how I knew on tour there was two tournaments for a million dollars in Hawaii and I didn't even want to go, you know, and you have to be honest with yourself. And I never saw a coaching career um, come about, um, and, and look what that led to. Um, so, you know, I, I just kind of got in that same position in the coaching piece. And so it's time for someone, um, uh, like Lisa to take over the reins and, and to me move forward. And I don't know what's going to come about or, or, or not. Um, but I'm okay with that. And, and, um, so, you know, I think part of that evolving, it did happen. Um, obviously, I had to adjust a lot of things with, I mean, we didn't even have computers when I first took over. <laughs> you know, we did in my teaching, uh, totally evolved. I mean, no one ever thought about a track man or, uh, you know, uh, force plates and things like that. Um, so I was always my very best I could to, to try to stay on the cutting edge with um, education. I spent a lot of my free time uh, trying to learn to be a better teacher. Um, so from that perspective, I definitely did evolve quite a bit. Um, you know, and I think back early on some of the things I told my kids from the first 10 years, I thought, oh my, I probably messed up their swing more than I helped their swing. But, um, you know, for what I learned now, um, 
but, but, you know, a lot of other things did not evolve. And that, that was just me being me and being there for my kids when they need you the most. Well, thank you for making that distinction because it's obviously you evolved in certain things in the game because of technology or just whatever recruiting has been different for you than it was in 1991. That's changed. evolved. But to me, what you just said uh, by making the distinction there is I didn't evolve as a human being, as far as caring and loving on these student athletes and what I wanted to do as far as them. So the original sentiment or spirit or why the original that part's still there it didn't evolve it's just like i'm glad i still held on to that would you say that's a fair assessment 100% and you know that that was always my why yeah that's Absolutely. beautiful well then i think it's great for a young coach to look at it and say okay you knew your why you knew the reason you were doing this and that part never left you. You probably kept it right in front of you, right in your tip of your tongue, in your heart, wherever. But you had to evolve the other things if you were going to be an effective coach. But, yeah. but the most important part, you never lost. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Give me two or three highlights or moments from your coaching career you'll never, ever forget. Two or three. Or maybe one. Just a, it's like a, that moment I could never forget. Well, um, I had a, I had a couple, um, you know, one, one was, um, our finish at Purdue, uh, at the national championship, we ended up fourth, but we moved like from eighth to fourth, um, right at the very end. And the way we were going, I thought, oh my goodness, I thought we were maybe going to win it all. Um, but you know what it was, was really cool about that was that the, the kids were just such, um, good kids and good people and they were very determined and um you know i i it was probably one of my most happiest moments um be, because to see some kids that you know they just refused to go down they just never gave up and that one was a pretty cool um cool moment for me um another one was in 2019 at the Big 10 championship uh which now actually turned out to be um uh, the last one where I was, um, we had, um, uh, uh, our number one player in the fall, uh, actually ended up earning her LPGA tour card in the middle of the year. And, um, for us to go there and actually clinch the big 10 title without our number one player, I'm sure that not many people gave us much of a chance, but my freshman Annika Sayamanatapa uh, ended up shooting 69 the final round and um, our other senior Nikki Schroeder shot 66 mm. and was medalist um, co-medalist um, but you know um, and then our uh, another freshman that had transferred in Skylar Thompson shot 72 that day uh, all our team um, contributed to that uh, championship and uh, Lauren Peter uh, actually did as well um, you know, and it was just really uh, awesome um, the way they all came together. And like I said, I, I would think that nobody gave us much of a chance without having your best player there, but they all stepped up and rose to the occasion. So that was a pretty special moment uh, for us as well. Great, great accomplishment right there. That's tough to do when your best player is gone. Um, so real quick, give me a story, uh, most funny, funniest or most embarrassing moment as a coach. 
Mm-hmm. You got you got to tell me this. If you're able to tell me all this other stuff, you got to throw one of those out there. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. Is there anything at all? And think about that. Well, we I tell you, I, okay. I, I, I have to say it was at nationals at Sun River. Um, this would have been about 2005. It was. And I was I was coaching there at for Oklahoma State as the women's coach. Yep. Okay. okay. Snowed on us the last round. You remember? Yes, it did. And I was standing on the first tee, um, getting getting our players all teed off, and Lindsay Knowlton and Kristen White were my one and two players on that team, and they were seniors. And um, you know, Mike, they were just the most unbelievable kids and athletes and workers and they loved the Buckeyes and they loved the team. And um, I just started bawling my eyes out right on the first tee because, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I haven't had the chance to have so many all Americans that a lot of other coaches are privileged to coach. And, you know, here I had two of them at the same time and, um, you know, the recruiting is, is really constant and it's tough and I can't get, sometimes a lot of the kids don't want to go up and play in the North because, you know, they don't think their experience will be it like it is in the South, which to this, to, to my dying day, I will always disagree with that because the opportunities we had for kids, um, was just unbelievable. But, you know, those two were teeing off and I, I, um, I just lost it and I was crying so hard. So I was kind of embarrassed, but once again, you know, it was from my heart and um, I knew what special people I was losing and that was going to be my last day with them. And, and Kristen kind of looked up at me and she goes, shush coach, shush. (laughs) You know, he was, she was shushing me on the first tee and I could hardly stop crying because I had to go around behind the tent. Um, just because, you know, I knew, I knew how special that was. And um, so I was kind of embarrassing, but on the other hand, it was, it's who I am too. And uh, even thinking about it now, 17 years later, still brings tears to my eyes and um, so grateful. That is special. Thank you. Thank you for showing the emotion. Honestly, uh, that, that tells me how much that did mean to you. So let's move on now to Lisa. Lisa Strom, who is following you as the coach, and I, I know from experience when you follow a legend and or icon or just somebody who's been there for a long time who did a great job, that's a challenge. That's not easy, and Lisa's doing that. So I want you to tell me why you think Lisa will be a great coach. What are her strengths? What are the things that she does that are going to lead to success? Well, you know, um, I'm really proud of Lisa and, you know, that actually was a piece of my decision on timing of, of leaving because, you know, I, I have full confidence in her that, you know, she's going to be able to continue on a lot of things that I think are very important to be successful in coaching. Um, you know, and she exhibits a lot of those characteristics. So it was very, um, it's easier to walk away when you know that you, you, you know, you're, Oh, this is going to be good. Another 15, 20 years, 
uh, things will be done the way that I think they need to be done. And um, obviously it'll be different. Lisa's not me. I don't expect it to be the same. And, but, you know, she cares a lot about the, the kids as people. Um, she has a great desire to learn and grow as a teacher. She's very sharp, very intelligent. Um, she picks up on a lot of things um, that, you know, I know that will help the program be very successful. Um, and so, you know, it, it made me feel really good to get her. And then my um, a former player who was also an All-American for us, Amy Miller, is now our director of ops. Um, so, you know, she, she was one of my all-time, um, you know, early on players that she, I think she was, well, and she wasn't my first, but she was my, probably my second All-American. And, you know, so to have, have it in those very capable hands, those two are a dynamic duo. And, you know, I, I feel really good about it. I feel really great for Lisa. I think, you know, she loves the Buckeyes. She has the, that spirit that you need uh, in that role as well. And, um, you know, she'll do a, just a bang up job. There is no doubt in my mind. That's great to hear. And, and I think so, too. I've had Lisa on this podcast. She's really, really impressive. And she and I have developed a really good relationship all the day, way back to the days she was at Texas State. So yeah. I've known her a while. But so let's take Lisa out of the picture there for a second. If you're just giving advice to a young coach, not Lisa, because hers is a little different because she's following you at the university that you both love a great deal. If you're just giving advice to a young coach, 25 to 30 year old coach who's just getting in, what would that be? Like a piece of advice, like they couldn't live without it unless they had this piece of advice. Well, I think um, for your players to do their best for you, you need to do your best for them. Mm. And I think you need to be consistent. I think you need to, um, you know, show them in, and each player might be a little bit different of how they can trust you. And then, I, you know, from my experience, I've, I've had a lot of players probably accomplish a lot more than what a lot of people thought they could do because you set them up for success. And, you know, um, you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. But, you know, if you can um, show them that you're all in 100 percent buying in um, every, you know, inch of every day you know, you're, you're bringing the energy and you're, you love the game. Uh, I think that does rub off on your players. And um, I think that you'll get the most out of them that way as well. And I think that's probably the, the most important piece that I could, I could share with a, a young coach coming up. That's very good advice. And, and honestly, advice I give very similar to young coaches too, as well. Um, so thank you for that. So Recent, I say recently, in 2018, you became the first ever female at a Power Five conference school to become the director of golf over both the men's and women's golf programs at a Power Five conference school. So I know you're proud of a lot in your career. Is this one of the things you're most proud of? I mean, to have gotten to that point with so much respect from your administration and honestly, so much respect from your men's coach, Jay Mosley. Jay really has a lot of respect for you. So I mean, to me, that's an amazing accomplishment and opens the doors for a lot of other females. Yeah, you know, I, I really almost fell over when that job presented itself. Um, and, you know, there was no hesitation on my part um, of what I, I would have loved to do that. And, you know, the guys are no different than the ladies. and They want someone that cares about them. They want someone that's going to try to help them get better. 
Um, I'm so grateful to our men uh, through since uh, 2018. I mean, they all uh, showed a lot of respect to me and and my knowledge and my background and our history. Um, and, you know, I, I will be forever grateful for that opportunity. And, you know, to have that confidence from our administration shown to me and my sport AD, as well as our direct, our, um, you know, just our athletic director, Gene Smith. I mean, that, that really, really, really meant a lot to me and, you know, made me even want to dig in there and work even harder just to, so I could show them that, that we could do it. And, and, um, you know, that that was a great decision on their part too. I think that I know you did a great job with that. And I think that maybe encourage other athletic directors in the future to think that that could be an option. So really proud of you. You were sort of a pioneer in that way, I think. Um, yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you before we finish up here. One is, um, is what will you miss most about coaching? And I think I know where this is going just based upon our interview and our talk, but what do you think you'll miss most about being in a day-to-day coaching situation? Well, that that's really easy, Mike. That that's the players. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will miss their the interaction with them. Um, I love walking with them at tournaments. Um, you know, sharing information for them. Just you know, and talking about anything. A lot of things that didn't even have anything to do with golf. Um, you know, just let them know how much I cared about them as people and. You know, um, that that interaction is without a doubt what I'll miss the most for sure. Well, hopefully you're able to keep in touch with people through texting or through direct messaging or whatever. I'm sure you won't stop communicating with those former players, but you won't see them on a daily basis, which will be uh, something else. But okay, so here's what I want to say. Uh, One, I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for a long time. This is a, a podcast about college golf. It's a podcast is supposed to bring a positive light toward college golf. It's a shame I haven't had you on here before, but, hmm. uh, but when you decided to retire last month and it was announced, I knew I would have you on. And that's when I called Lisa and said, Lisa, I got to have Therese on here. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I was a women's coach for one year at Oklahoma state. I loved it. It taught me more about myself than any coaching experience on the men's side could have. Um, and, but, but I want you to know this as you go and retire, and I know you're going to do a lot more things in your life, but just remember your legacy as a coach, and I'm not talking about Ohio State, but your legacy as a coach is very secure. And the respect that all of your colleagues had for you is at the highest level possible. And I want to say this too, the way you treat people in this life says a lot. It says everything about how you are, who you are. So you can win all the championships you want. You can do all the best recruiting, fundraise out the, out the roof. You can do all of these wonderful things in coaching. If you don't treat people the right way, you're not a great coach. And I've always known that you treated people the right way. So I want to thank you on this podcast for all my listeners, just for the way you treated people. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mike. And, um, you know, life's too short. And I, I love people. I love being with people. I love helping any way I can. And I think that's something that I'll always, I'll probably get involved in something else down the road, but I just love giving back. And and um, I love treating people the way I like to be treated too. And that's, um, I think that's, you know, one of the most important things I can pass on too. Well, thank you so much. And thank you again, Trace, for 
for taking an hour out of your day to, to come and see me or talk to me on this podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And all the best to you too and, all, and the Baylor Bears. <laughs>